Hey guys, welcome to The Hope Project. This episode is a part of season three, so go check out the trailer to know more of the why behind this season. On today's episode, I talk with Beckett Cook. We talk about his story and homosexuality and the Bible. And we honestly have a lot of fun talking together, which leads to us laughing a fair amount. We are not trying to minimize this issue or reduce the pain that has been caused by Christians in this area. Our hearts go out to the LGBT plus community, and we mourn the unwarranted pain that has been caused by Christians. And even though Beckett takes a culturally unfavorable stance, I know that he loves people deeply. Regardless of this, I do think Beckett has some great things to share, even if you strongly disagree with him on the topic. So with all of that, let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast today. I am sitting here with Beckett, um, and we're going to talk about a little bit about his book, A Change of Affection, um, and a little bit about his story. Um, so Beckett, can you tell us just a little bit about where you grew up, what you've been doing in your life, where you're at now? Just a quick snapshot of Beckett's life. We'll get into your story fully later, but just a quick snapshot of, of your life. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on your show, Colton. Uh, so I just a brief snapshot is that I grew up in Dallas, Texas. At a young age, I uh, was kind of aware that I was attracted to the same sex, didn't know what to do with that mm-hmm. feeling. Because in in Dallas at that time, and, and, you know, I was raised in the Catholic Church, it was obviously forbidden and frowned upon to be gay. And so... And in, that doesn't uh, make any sense. Dallas yeah. is pretty... <laughs> right. And my family, you know, my family w- would have frowned upon it extremely. So I had this double life of just mm-hmm. kind of having these internal thoughts and feelings. But then on the outside, I was just like a fun, popular kid in school. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And went steady with girls and I dated girls in high school. And then, Mm -hmm. but in high school, I ended up meeting a guy who, uh, and we ended up coming out to each other. So Mm. I had, we were, I had a gay best friend in high school and that was a kind of a turning point for me. And I was able to, we actually explored gay culture in Dallas. We went to gay bars, we went to like nightclubs and Mm -hmm. that was a huge experience for me because it was like. All my life, I kind of felt like a misfit because of my sexuality and my my mm-hmm. uh, desires. And when I when I remember the first time I went to a gay bar, I was like, "Oh my gosh! Like these are my people! Like mm-hmm. these people get mm-hmm. who I am yeah. finally! Like I'm meeting people that get me." And that was a a big deal. And then. Um, I don't, by the way, I don't know how we got into gay bars. We were like 14, 15, <laughs> 16 years old, and we were just going to clubs. And, but, and then in, in college, the same thing. I had a best friend who, and we came out to each other in college. Mm-hmm. And so we, mm-hmm. you know, I had this a confidant in college as mm-hmm. well. And we talked about, you know, guys and, and just, you know, our feelings. And we, we went to gay bars. And then <clears throat> after college, I, I met, uh it's a long story but i went i moved to tokyo but i i met i moved to tokyo for a year and one of the um, things one of the things in reading your book is just like all of a sudden i'm in tokyo or I know, right? i'm in new york or i'm in and i'm just like what what is your I life i know i don't know what my life is so i was in yeah so i met this i moved to tokyo for a year with my best friend from college and mm-hmm. then um, we a friend of my roommates in tokyo came to visit us from texas we fell in love, and then that's when I really kind of felt mm-hmm. like, wow, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. This is my identity, mm-hmm. and I came out to everyone. I came out mm-hmm. to my parents, my siblings, my 
all my friends, I, I, I came out finally. Um, cause I, I was already out to a lot of people, but not like fully out, um, to the, the general mm-hmm. public. And was social media prevalent at the time. So like, did you have this, like, no, there wasn't even MySpace at that time. Um, <laughs> The so, dark ages. <laughs> this was the dark ages. Actually, it was the it was the light ages. Yeah. For um. Me. So then I moved to California. I moved to L.A. after that first relationship. Moved to L.A. and got into you know a fun crowd of friends. We you know we were all very ambitious and everyone was trying to make it in Hollywood as a writer, director, actor, producer. And all of them did, and they mm-hmm. all ended up becoming. Now they all run Hollywood. Now mm-hmm. they're they're like the heads of studios now. My, mm-hmm. my my all my old friends, and um, we you know I, I went through a series of like five, four or five relationships, like serious relationships, uh, like I you know with a guy, and we lived together, and I had you know I had just a ton of fun in L.A. I you know with my crowd of friends, they were all just very connected in Hollywood. And so I, I went to all the parties and to all the, mm-hmm. the award shows and the after parties and mm-hmm. the golden globes and the Oscars. You used to, and, you used to take swims in Drew Barrymore's pool. I know. I, I know. <laughs> like, yeah, I just like, I, these were common things. Like I would, you know, uh, Drew Barrymore lived up in the Hollywood Hills and um, I was friends <laughs> with, I was friends with her producer. Uh-huh. And so I would go over to her house all the time she had an amazing pool and and a a, a diving board which Ooh. don't exist anymore. No, they don't. Because you can't get home insurance. But she, for some reason, I don't know how she got out of that clause, but she had a diving board, so it was the best pool in L.A. And um, <laughs> and yeah, and I would you know I would just like end up at weird things. Like one night I went to um a party at Prince's house and. He had a, he was renting a, he rented a house in L.A. up in Beverly mm-hmm. Hill in Benedict Canyon this gigantic huge house that's like Jamie Fox lived next door to him and it was like it's in this neighborhood that's like the houses like are notorious. crazy yeah. um but anyway I went to a party at Prince's house and um I walked in and I was like I wonder if he's gonna sing tonight and <laughs> and I walk in and I like look through at, at the backyard which is like a football field it's mm-hmm. giant his backyard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I see at the end of the backyard, there's like a stage set up and um, with his, like the big Prince symbol and, mm-hmm. and then like, and I'm like, oh my gosh, he's going to sing. <laughs> so he ended up like performing for like three hours that night oh my at gosh. his house. And I was like right here, like th- this close to him wow. with you, like three feet away. And um, so that was, you know, it was like these kinds of experiences were constantly happening. Um, I was friends with a lot of movie stars and would go on vacations with them. I um you know, a good friend of mine was Mariska Hargitay, who's mm-hmm. like now, I, I guess Law and Order. I just saw it in the New York Times yesterday. Law and Order Special Victims Unit is like the longest running show ever now. But right. I was actually on the uh, I, I, I drove with her to that audition for Law oh, and wow. Order. And I because she was like, can you drive with me to the audition and run <laughs> lines with me? And I ran lines with her for they that. Should audition. Have, they should have hired you, too. I know. You I should have, I just recently story. texted her and I was like, you I need to be on at least one episode <laughs> of that show. Extra. I'll be a killer. Uh, I'll do anything. Just one line. <laughs> I just need one line. Um, she didn't respond to that, which was weird. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, so, yeah. So I had these great experiences, did a lot of fun, met everyone, knew everyone like mm-hmm. 
had dinner at uh, Nia Vardalis's house from Big Fat Greek Wedding. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone, mm-hmm. Tom Hanks, everyone was there. Like all these people, you know, mm-hmm. had dinners with at with you know at tables with Meryl Streep and other people and um, James Bond. Who was the one that James Bond? It was he was a couple James Bonds ago. I can't remember. No. Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, he okay. was at one of these things. And um, he actually has a son named Beckett, but um, <laughs> which is funny. <laughs> I talked to his wife all night about that. But um, <laughs> that's a good talking point. So, uh, and then, so I ha- was having fun and like I was living this kind of fun life with yeah. my friends. Well, that's literally the dream. Like, yeah, most people, I mean, they think of that, you know. It's... And I was a, I was a production designer. I moved out to L.A. to be an actor and a writer, mm-hmm. and it like kind of was working. I did a lot of commercial acting, but. Um, it just was, it was kind of fizzling. I like, we came, my writing partner and I came really close to selling, you know, two really big screenplays, big comedies, romantic comedies. And, um, and they, they just didn't sell. And it was such a bummer. What were some of the commercials you've been in? Like, what's the biggest, biggest name commercial you've been uh, in? Oh, gosh, a lot. Well, um, <laughs> uh, I've been in, um, it's hard to, Budweiser is one, uh, Crown Gasper. Royal. Uh, so Black and Decker, a lot of alcohol. Infinity, <laughs> Infinity, the car commercial. Uh, uh, just yeah, Walgreens, like a, a bunch uh-huh, of stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and so I, uh, so I that kind of was like it was ebbing and flowing, but more ebbing. And so I ended up falling into product set design mm-hmm. for in the fashion world. So mm-hmm. I would do set design for magazine cut like Vogue and Harper's Bazaar and set design for um, ad campaigns for like Gap and for YSL and, you know, um, mm-hmm. just like fashion brands, you know, big fashion brands. And so L'Oreal, I just did a L'Oreal shoot with Eva Longoria, um, <laughs> a commercial. But um, and so I did that for, for, you know, for many, many years and. But in 2009, March of 2009, I was in at Paris Fashion Week, mm-hmm. and I, because uh, I, I used to go to Fashion Weeks whenever I could in New York and Paris, and I was at a part. I was just I went to a bunch of the shows and to a lot of the after parties, and I was at an after party one night, and I just felt so empty and dead inside. Mm. And, you know, everyone from the fashion world was there. Kanye, I think Kanye was there. Because I know he was there during that fashion week because I saw him at a bunch of the shows. But I'm not mm-hmm. sure if he was at that party. But I I just was like, what is... I finally got to the point in my life where I was like, is that all there is? Yeah. Well, you had like, every, you were, you were at everything. Man. Like Peggy Lee in yeah. that song. Is that all there is to a fire? <laughs> like, I just felt like, is that all there is? Like, mm-hmm. is this really all there is like just going to these parties and yeah, these experiences are great and fun, but what I I need to, I need answers. Like what's the meaning of life? Like, where did I come from? What am I doing here? And where am I going? You know, that's what I, and I'd always kind of had that need to know that, but it, it came to a head that night in Hmm. Paris. And so I went back to my uh, uh, hotel and, and just was kind of like in a panic all night. Like, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? Because this is not going to work. I mm-hmm. can't just keep going to these parties. And mm-hmm. um, and so I 
got back to LA after that, kind of got busy with work and kind of forgot about, forgot about that whole, I didn't fully forget, but forgot about that night in Paris. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and then six mo- months later I was in Silver Lake in Los Angeles at a mm-hmm. coffee shop mm-hmm. and, there was a group of young people with Bibles on the table. <laughs> I was with my best friend who was also gay and we were just fascinated by it. Yeah. We were like, who are these people with Bibles? And uh, I was just kind of taken aback by it because I had never seen a Bible yeah. in public in my life. And and uh, so my friend and I, we just kind of, my friend urged me to talk to them. I ended up I ended up just turning around and say, and mm-hmm. I said, "Hey, are you guys Christians? Like, what's mm-hmm. the deal?" Mm-hmm. And we ended up in this long conversation, and yeah, they explained their. I said, "What is your? What do you believe?" Because I grew up Catholic. I don't even know what like they said they were evangelical Christians, and mm-hmm. I said, "What does that mean?" Like, I kind of know, but I don't. Just explain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they did, and um, we, we were both kind of fascinated by it, and. And then, of, of course, I got to the $64,000 question and I said, what what does your church in Hollywood believe about homosexuality? Mm-hmm. And they said, well, it's we believe it's a sin. And uh, but not in they weren't in like in a not in a rude way, yeah. but just in a very matter of fact way. It wasn't mm-hmm. it's like and I kind of appreciated that they were very just frank with me about it. Mm-hmm. And um. I said, and then they invited me to church the following Sunday. And I, classic, and, that's a classic Bible study right. Christian, <laughs> right? And um, so I was like, well, I don't know if I'll come, but I'll think about it. Yeah. Cut to the following Sunday. I had a week to think about it. Didn't know what I was gonna do. I, the next Sunday, I woke up, got ready, went to the church. Uh, which is in a public high school auditorium. I had never been to an evangelical church, mm-hmm. so I didn't know what it mm-hmm. looked like or felt like or anything. Mm-hmm. And so I. Ended up going to this church, walk in, um, sit down, and I sit by myself. I hear the pastor comes out and preaches a sermon on Romans 7, chapter 7, and I was just totally riveted to the sermon. Mm-hmm. I didn't know why, but it was just all this stuff was like shifting in me, in my mm-hmm. mind, in my heart. Mm-hmm. Everything he was saying was was like resonating as truth in, in, inside me, and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is the gospel? How come I've never heard this before? Hmm. And it was blowing my mind because yeah. I was just like, this is amazing. I can't believe this is the gospel. And by the way, before I went into the that church that day, I remember consciously taking almost it was like I felt, it was like this white box I visualized. I took this white box of like my sexuality and just put it on a shelf. Hmm. And I was like, because I was like, who knows? Like maybe okay. There's a slim chance that there's a god. Yeah. Uh, because at this point in my life, I was a, I was a, basically an atheist. Mm-hmm. God was not even an option for me. Mm-hmm. I I knew I was gay, and I knew what the Bible said about homosexuality. Mm-hmm. So I was like, mm-hmm. the twain yeah. shall never meet. And um, so I I put it. I put this kind of idea of my sexuality on the shelf, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go in here and just be open about this because. I could be wrong. There could be a God. And if there is a God, there there's a tiny chance that homosexuality could be a sin. I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm just going to be open. Mm-hmm. So anyway, after the sermon, someone prays for me on the side of the church. And then I go back to my seat and there's 30 more minutes of worship. 
And that's when it all happened. The Holy Spirit just like overwhelmed me and the Mm -hmm. Holy Spirit revealed God to me. And Mm -hmm. it was just like all this, it was just this Shekinah glory. It was like this glory Mm -hmm. of God just overwhelmed me. And God in that moment, in my, in my kind of, mind's eye God or God was just like I'm God hmm. Jesus is my son heaven's real hell's real the Bible's true and now you're adopted into my kingdom welcome wow. Wow. and I was just like ball I mean I couldn't I was bawling uncontrollably couldn't yeah. stop crying and it was like I had just met the king of the universe and I it was like the curtains had parted and I could finally see reality wow. for the first time I could see the truth and it was such a like an amazing experience because I was like, ah, like this is crazy that this is true. And I finally know the truth. Like what, this is unbelievable. Yeah. And then I got home that day and it happened a second time. God was like, let me show you some more of my glory. (laughs) And he just like passed by, I was in bed and he just like passed by my bed, like Moses in the cleft of the rock. And I was like, ah, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I jumped out of my bed and I was like, God, you have my whole life. I was crying again and crying. And I couldn't stop. And I was like, you have my whole life. And I knew, I also knew in that moment that I, homosexuality was no longer who I was. Hmm. It wasn't my identity. Mm-hmm. It was no longer going to be a part of my future. Mm-hmm. And But I was totally fine with that because I just met Jesus Christ. And I was yeah. like good riddance to that life like uh, this life is way better yeah so i and i've been just yeah i've just been um happy to be single and celibate since then yeah wow yeah (laughs) sorry that was a little longer than a snapshot that was a good that was a full picture yeah (laughs) well i mean there's a lot more to it yeah if you read the book you'll see there's a lot a lot more complicating factors and awesome stories and cool things um, one of the things that you describe in your book is you talk about kind of the rich young ruler as like a kind of like a symbol for mm-hmm. your story. Um, can you explain that a little bit more to someone who hasn't read your book? Yeah, I mean, in the second part of my book, I it's called Reflections, and mm-hmm. I reflect on the issue of homosexuality using various uh, kind of passages or stories in the Bible to illustrate this the issue of homosexuality to use kind of as a parallel issue mm-hmm. or a parallel uh illustration and one is the rich rich young man or the rich young ruler and as you know in the bible you know he comes he in the gospels he comes to jesus and he's like good teacher what mm-hmm. what must i do to mm-hmm. what must i do to inherit eternal life and jesus is you know kind of goes through this whole sort of obey the commandments or something uh, he goes through this um, kind of dialogue with him like why do you call me good and blah Mm -hmm. blah blah and so he kind of starts to challenge him in these different ways and and uh you know jesus is like you know the commandments like and then he goes through the second the second list of the decalogue and and uh the guys, the rich young man says, well, I've, I've, you know, obeyed all these commandments since my youth, mm-hmm. which I don't know if that's true, but, and yeah, then Jesus says, a little, he's got some narcissism. Yeah. So Jesus <laughs> says, well. and then Jesus kind of, in my book, I talk about how like Jesus knew what kind of the idol was in his life and he puts mm-hmm. his finger on it and he's like, well, you lack one thing, go sell all your possessions and come mm-hmm. follow me. Mm-hmm. And the rich young man is he just turns away and walks walks away because yeah. it says he had a lot of he had great possessions. Mm-hmm. So he basically he turns 
because he had these great possessions and didn't want to give them up, he gives up eternal life and yeah. a, a chance to be a follower of Christ. Yeah. And that, and I, that's the parallel I use in the book to the issue in the LGBT LGBTQ community is that it's like, this is the deal breaker. It's yeah. like this one issue. And I know I, 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 you know, of course I lived as a gay man for like 25 years. I mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. I know what it's like, you know, mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I've, I've been there done that trust me and so <laughs> so i know what it's it's i know it's not easy to give something up like that but mm-hmm. this is for for in my in my opinion this is like the deal breaker for the lgbtq community to follow christ it's like well no i'm not going to give that up because mm-hmm. i i i love that too much and i'm not i don't want to follow i don't want to give that up to follow christ and to me it's just like so sad because when you see the rich young ruler turn away and walk away, you're just like, Oh my gosh, like you're, you're making the Mm -hmm. biggest mistake of your whole life. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's kind of the story. Yeah. Well, yeah. So the reason I bring that up is because that, and we talked about this a little bit before we even recorded, uh, but that was the, the part of the book that probably hit me to my core the most in your reflection of just like you paint such a beautiful picture of how good it really is to be with Jesus and what we are promised that anything, like anything that stands in the way of that or anything that could come in the way of that, I'm willing to give up, like regardless of what it is. Um, yeah. And I, we just don't see that depiction of eternal life in that kind of way as much anymore. I feel like we're kind of like trying to show you like, well, look, you can like have this and have this or right. like have your cake and eat it too. And you're just kind of like, no, <laughs> like, well, whatever it is to give up, like I'll give up to, to take this. Yeah. And G- I mean, it's not just me. Jesus says, well, yeah. you know, <laughs> Jesus says like, Jesus says that he's very clear about it. And that's something we don't talk about either in the culture. It's like, Jesus mm-hmm. says, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. You have to deny mm-hmm. your desires, your will and mm-hmm. deny and, and take up your cross and follow me. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that's, you know, that's part of being a follower of Christ. But again, it's like everything else on this, on this earth, in this life pales in comparison Mm -hmm. to having a relationship with Jesus and have, and by the way, having eternal life, which is Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, a major thing. Yeah. Living for forever. is (laughs) Yeah. You know, like living with God forever (laughs) is kind of crazy, but I think it's, it's worth it. I mean, as you said, you know, if what was your example earlier? Like if you had to uh, oh, give up French toast. <laughs> yeah. If you had to give up French toast, which you love. I was trying to keep that example out of this. Oh, podcast, sorry. If you have to give up French toast for the rest of your life, you would. If the Bible said, you know, you, yeah. you can't eat French toast. And um, let me explain. I love French toast. Like my mom listening to this podcast right now. She knows people they know me. I used to have every time I'm home still, when I go home to visit my parents, one of the first meals I have is my mom's French toast. But if like God was just like, hey, you can't eat that French toast anymore if you want to follow me, I'd be like, okay, like, fine. Yeah, like, you're like, done. Not a problem, yeah. Um, so that's what I love about your example is just like. And Francis Chan, I told you, Francis Chan, you yeah. know, mentioned in one of his talks that, you know, if if the Bible said that all Chinese men had to stand on their head for eight hours a day, whatever, he would do it. Mm-hmm. Like it's just like because he he believes in the authority of scripture and and the veracity of it and so and I do too and so like that's it's like what I, I and the thing is I 
I find actually, I find it so joyful to be obedient to God because it's mm. like God had, you know, I got saved later in life and it, which is, um, it just has this kind of more of a profound impact in a way because you're just, cause you, cause I was lost for so long. Mm-hmm. And so when you are finally get found by God, it's just so incredible that, um, being obedient to him is not a drag. It's like mm-hmm. actually something that I love. Cause I, I'm like, Oh, I actually love that. My father puts these boundaries up around. Cause before I was so boundaryless, I didn't know what was good, what was bad, what was right, wrong. Like I just was kind of flailing around mm-hmm. doing my life and not knowing what the guardrails were, but God, mm-hmm. but now that I have this heavenly father, and I know what the guard, what the, what the limits are because it's, it's for my health. It's for my own flourishing and my own good. Mm-hmm. And he cares about me that it's actually joyful to be obedient to him. Yeah. In reading like just your story and I, I follow Francis Chan a fair amount and just, it, it has the same kind of taste. Like when you see Francis preach sometimes, he just has this just like, oh, like, <laughs> the gospel is, oh, it's so good. I just, oh, and he just like starts weeping. I know. And it's just, but it's He's the intense. same. Yeah. <laughs> but I love it. Yeah. Um, and he wrote the foreword to my book. Exactly. That's what I was just about to say. I'm like, if you didn't trust Beckett's stories about swimming in Drew Barrymore's pool <laughs> as evidence that he should, you know, has some credence in writing this book, Francis Chan wrote the foreword. But Francis talks about in the foreword about how. There's only been like two times in his life he's like sat and listened to someone speak and like audibly like he screamed. Yeah. (laughs) And he talks about how he was listening to you talk in like a crowded room and he's just like, yes, (laughs) that's it. Um, But that it has the feel of just like you you have the story of a man who's encountered God and it didn't matter what it was is that no matter what it was, you're going to give it up to follow him because you realize how good it was, um, which I just think is so powerful. Um, for the modern like American Christian comfort, like numb, like we forget that like spending time with God for eternity should blow your mind. But like we say that and it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, that's like that's cool. That's our future. Like, yeah. It's just like when you when you really think about it and when you and this is the thing I talk about it too a lot is in our especially in our culture now, it, it's like we're constantly inundated with a false narrative of reality um Mm -hmm. constantly movies social media everything and so we need to be more so now than ever i mean we need to be in the word of god because i mean i was just i listen to audio bible all the time Mm -hmm. and um just when I'm like doing stuff around my place and uh, I was just like doing the dishes the other night and I, I, I turned on first Corinthians and uh, I was just listening to it and I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like, and I've read first Corinthians, like, I don't know, 200 times mm-hmm. or more. And, mm-hmm. but every time I hear it, I'm just, and I just listened to it again and I was blown away by it. I was like, Whoa, like this, how is this? First of all, I was like, how is this, this letter in the Bible even legal in the state of California anymore? Mm-hmm. It's so uh, counter, it's so countercultural and so, um, mm-hmm. and you know, almost incendiary. And so, um, but it's just like, if we're, I, you know, I tell people all the time, like, if you just read 
these are the two letters that really I think are super impactful um, in terms of the you know the noise of the culture and really getting kind of back to the center mm-hmm. of what God, who God is, and what you know what this is all about. If you read the letter to the Hebrews mm. or Revelation in yeah. one sitting, if you just listen to it on audio or read it in one sitting, it'll blow your mind and you'll just be like, oh my gosh, like mm-hmm. I'm changing everything yeah. tonight. Right as now. long as you can understand somewhat Revelation. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, it's intense. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, in your in your book, you talk about um, a little bit about your interactions with your parents. Um, so I think it, it'd just be helpful for someone listening. What has your interactions with your parents been like, even pre-conversion, post-conversion? Um, kind of what has that relationship been like for you? Pre-conversion, uh, when I was growing up, I mean, I was the youngest of eight kids. So mm-hmm. uh, my parents were great and my dad was, you know, the typical, because there were so many kids, he didn't, he was a lawyer. He didn't have time to really spend, you know, this like quality time with each of us. Mm-hmm. So I kind of missed out on that, which, and, um, but he was, what he did do, which was great is he created this, this really good structure in our family. And my parents remained married until they died in 2015. They died mm-hmm. six months apart. Um, so there was this really good structure. He would, you know, come home every night at five thirty, and we would have dinner at six. <laughs> like it was a, it it was just kind mm-hmm. of like a great um, thing. And I went, you know, I grew up in the same house my whole life in Dallas, and went to the same, you know, schools my whole life. These private schools, and and that was like really nice and structured. But when, um, I. I guess when I came out to my parents, well, actually my sister outed me to my parents, which was a whole <laughs> other story. But, um, <laughs> but when they found out that I was gay, uh, my, they didn't, they didn't have a crazy re- reaction to it because mm-hmm. they'd already been through seven other kids and drama with kind of that. Yeah. There wasn't that much drama in my family, but they had been through stuff. And, um, and so by the time I came out, my, my mother cried and, and, you know, I told her mom, don't worry about me. I'm fine. This is totally fine. Don't. And then my dad, I remember he said, he came up to me, um, in the driveway, in our driveway, cause I had just gotten home and then he pulled up behind me and he said, Hey Beck, um, are you, are you mad at me for, did I do anything wrong as a, mm-hmm. as a dad? Did are you angry at me for not, you know, doing this or that? And I was like, no, dad, like, this is who I am. Don't worry about it. It's Mm -hmm. fine. And, and so they were super mellow about me when I came out and, uh, which I really appreciated. Yeah. They didn't like try to like, you know, ground me or take away my, you know, they, they were just very chill about it, Mm -hmm. which I think is, is a really good approach because that when a child comes out to his or her parents um they've had so many years of to wrestle with that internally oh yeah and and privately and so by the time a child comes out to their parents they've already gone through years of of, mm-hmm. of kind of thinking through it and so they're they want their parents to be on board the second they come out which mm-hmm. is unfair to the parents yeah yeah and but it's also like a shock to the parents mm-hmm. most of the time especially Christian parents, like it's very shocking. And 
they sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's not uncommon for them to have a really strong reaction to that. And I think in those situations, everyone in that needs, everyone involved needs to just have a lot of grace with each other. Parents need to just chill out, go Mm -hmm. to, you know, go to a closet and cry or grieve or, Mm -hmm. or mourn because it is kind of a, it's, it's a, it's, it's upsetting to parents, you know, because they, it's a shock. And so they need time to really grieve and process that. Mm-hmm. And kids need time to, kids need to allow their parents to have time to do that. Yeah. And, um, and parents need to allow the child, no child is going to come to Christ when they come out. If you're just like beating them over the head with a Bible, mm-hmm. like that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so that the best thing to do is just be super loving, even though it's difficult at that, you know, probably at that moment, just be super loving and, um, walk, you know, walk through this with your child and, and be loving towards them and just pray for them, you know, mm-hmm. and you don't need to quote Bible verses <laughs> every day. You don't need to be, you know, every, every, you know, Christmas, you don't need to say, well, son, you know, you're still a sinning out there. Um, so I think, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, that's good. Well, that's one of the biggest things that thinking of the, the parent child relationship where, yeah, parents like they're going to be shocked by it. Um, cause it's like, it's kind of not fair that the kid, he had like three years, maybe more to process it. But at the end of the day, you're the parent and they're the kid. Like it's your job to, to love them and yeah. to be the more mature one in the situation in a sense than the kid. Like the kid may not have all of their stuff together, thoughts together, and you may not either, but you at least have to like have that stability yeah. to be able to handle it. And even it. if you don't, just like pretend you do yeah. and then go in the closet and scream <laughs> in the pillow or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now in your book, uh, you talk about how you no longer identify as gay. Um, and so I want to dive a little bit into that just because I had a friend on named Jacob on the podcast who identifies as a gay Christian but holds the same sexual ethic as you, holds the same theology as you. Um, but just uses the label more as a marker of attraction. Um, mm-hmm. So I know in your book you talk about it a little bit. Could you just flesh that out for us in the podcast? Yeah, I, well, I I find that to be a little misleading to mm-hmm. call my to call oneself a gay Christian because homosexuality is a sin. So mm-hmm. I you nor like other Christians don't identify as. Uh, gossiping Christians or mm-hmm. greedy Christians like, Hey, I'm a greedy Christian mm-hmm. or Hey, I'm a, um, you know, tax collected Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just find it that's that identifier or that moniker is uh, that's my old man. That's my old self that Paul yeah. says that yeah. is, is, is gone. And mm-hmm. that's not who I am anymore. Mm-hmm. I am a new creation in Christ. And so, so why would I, I, why would I identify as, it's like, kind of like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just feel like words have power and to just con- mm-hmm. continually say I'm a gay, I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm a gay Christian mm-hmm. is unhelpful. Mm-hmm. Even spiritually, I think it's unhelpful mm-hmm. to you. Um, and so I, I, tr- I don't ever use that. I mean, if, if someone asks me, kind of what the deal is with my Christianity, I would just say I'm a Christian. Uh, and I, you know, I still 
struggle with same-sex attraction or I still have remnants of same-sex attraction, mm-hmm. but I'm happy to to deny myself and follow and, and take mm-hmm. up my cross and follow Christ. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so I don't, I find that term, um, you know, it's like, why would you identify with a sin? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's yeah. why I don't use it. <laughs> that's, that's helpful. <laughs> I just want to, <laughs> I think it's helpful for people to hear. Yeah. Kind of because I mean, with homosexuality and same-sex attraction, there's kind of a lot of different, identifying markers or names in today's culture. Of well, like, and yeah. I get it because, you know, I be obviously because this particular sin, and I know a lot of you out there don't think it's a sin, but I didn't say it. Anyway. I did say it was the Bible does. Um, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> people always like, it's funny. People like, I get so many messages from the book, you know, people email me and message me and they're like, I can't believe you think homosexuality is a sin. I'm like, I don't think this is the Bible. Jesus says, like, it's like God does. Um, I didn't make this up out of thin air. Um, but, um, where was I going with that? I don't know. You started, no, no. <laughs> you started um, on that tangent. I know. I, now I lost my I train of thought. I was talking about how, like, people, there's a big, like, just different, like, ways of, like, identifying markers or names of, like, I'm a gay Christian, I'm a lesbian Christian, or I'm a same-sex attracted Christian, or I'm just... Oh, okay, yeah, so I was getting to the identity thing, and that it's become, this sin, this particular sin has become such a huge um, part of identity, obviously, mm-hmm. and I, of course, I when I was gay, I felt that was 100% my identity, I was, mm-hmm. there was no doubt in my mind that was my identity for mm-hmm. 25 years, mm-hmm. so... That's why there's gay pride parades, but not gossip pride parades or greed pride parades or tax collector pride parades. Or so I, that's, so it's, I understand the, um, I understand the kind of the, the desire to, to use that as kind of an identifier as for, Mm -hmm. as a gay Christian, because it is such a part of identity now in our culture. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I just, yeah, that, and that, that's why, and in my book, I talk about, you know, this, this particular, particular sin, I, I have a whole section called same, but different. Mm-hmm. Cause like homosexuality is a sin, like other sins, but it's different in that it's become this it's culturally gigantic like identity. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so that's why, and it, it's a, it's very difficult to unravel that identity I think I think it it takes nothing less than the Holy Spirit to do that to yeah. unravel that. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Um, one of the things I like to do on every podcast is kind of get your thoughts on the topic about hope. Um, and so there is no hope. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're done then. Okay, <laughs> thanks guys for tuning in. Uh, uh, but yeah, so kind of. Colton, what... you're so naive. <laughs> Um, who am I? Yes. Who am I thinking there is hope in all these things? Yes. Um, but anyway, uh, I guess the first thing is like, what is your hope for how the Christian community can love um, the gay community well? Um, and how do you think maybe there are the ways we've gone wrong in doing that? Well, it's it's uh, as we as you know in our culture now, it's so difficult to bridge that gap and to even have. Because you, we were talking about it earlier. It's like it's like a conversation killer to even just mm-hmm. say, "Oh, I believe homosexuality is a sin." It's like, mm-hmm. 
boom, like the conversation's over and like mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to hear listen mm-hmm. to one other thing you're saying. Well, I'm sure even people that are tuning in this podcast and they just heard your little tangent about how gay the sin tax collector, they're just like, oh, I'm done listening to Beckett now. Yeah, turn he it back on. nothing to say. <laughs> Um, which is like, it's okay. You can disagree with Beckett there. Um, but like, yeah, li- like you can critically think about what he's saying. You don't have to just like now, like, oh, oh no, like I can't listen to him. Like, well, that's the thing. It's, yeah. a, it's now in our culture, I disagree with you means I hate you, which mm-hmm. is so not the case. I mean, mm-hmm. I have so many gay friends and trans friends, and I love them so unconditionally. Like, you have, I, I just, absolutely love them i have no there's zero i have zero judgment of them like Mm -hmm. literally zero i never Mm -hmm. even think about it Mm -hmm. um and so i think the hope is i mean the hopeful thing is that you know first of all i one of my so several of my gay friends from my past have have become Christians hmm. in the last few years and which has been amazing to see. And one of them is a guy, Eddie, his name is Eddie. And he was my assistant for many years mm-hmm. um, at, on, as a set designer. And he was gay, you know, had tons of boyfriends uh, in LA and, and we were friends. And then he started assisting me and, he just, I think five months ago, he just came to Christ. Like he, wow. I, I saw him over Christmas and we had this long talk because he's, he, I, when I first got saved, I told him like 10 mm-hmm. years ago, I told him, oh my gosh, Eddie, like Jesus is real. <laughs> it's crazy. It's so crazy. And, and he would make fun of me and mock me and he'd be mm-hmm. like, oh honey, like how's baby Jesus? And, <laughs> and, um, and he just would, but, but cut to 10 years later, he, um, you know, over the years, I just loved him and just, you know, was just my normal self to him. And, but then I saw him over Christmas and I, I prayed for him and I really explained the gospel to him and mm-hmm. in, in like a long form way, like I just really sh- like laid it out the whole gospel and, and, uh, and then I sent him. Uh, like as we were talking, we were at a wedding in Houston and I, uh, I sent him a Bible to his place in Palm Springs hmm. and, um, he started reading it. And six months later, he is now wow. a Christian and he is no longer, he, he gets it. Like he's, he's like, Oh yeah, I'm no longer living that life anymore as hmm. a gay man. And like, I know it's wrong now. And it's, it's hmm. like, Whoa, he, hmm. so he got safe. So, there is like hope. I mean, it's just like loving people generously and um, not judging them is, and just praying for people and just kind of sharing with people like your, you know, your journey and your, what, what God's done in your life, I think is, is the, is the key thing. And, and I, I always say this, but you know, Billy Graham said, it's not, my job it's god's job to judge it's the holy spirit's job to convict and it's my job to love and mm-hmm. so i i honestly i mean people are probably hearing this and thinking like oh he's judging me i literally <laughs> am not i ne- <laughs> i'm not judging anyone i like all i want all i want is for people to just know jesus and to have mm-hmm. eternal life that's all i care about hmm. yeah 
I thought there's gonna be more to that, but then I realized that's it. Like, that's it. That's, that's the whole ball game, though. That's the whole ball game. Yeah. That's why we're here. Yeah. To be reconciled, we're here on this planet to be reconciled to God through Christ, because we were broken from our, we were alienated from Him because of sin, and to be with Him for eternity. Like that's yeah. it. Yeah. It's really simple. But we're so numb to that, like being a beautiful, awesome, and good thing. Like even hearing that right now, you saying that, I'm like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that in my seminary classes, but it's like that's that should be like that should blow your mind. Like every time you hear yeah. it, it, it should blow your mind. Well, that's uh, again like getting saved later in life. It it really blows your mind more because I mean, I for the first year after I was saved, I first year or maybe two years, I would I honestly wake up every morning and start just crying because I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't believe I know Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is amazing. And um, so I'm still kind of, my mind's still blown. Yeah. What would be your hope for like the Christian church in America as a whole in the next coming years in kind of loving the gay community well? Well, I'm glad that this, this issue is so dominant in our culture now because the church can no longer just sweep it under the rug. Mm -hmm. So I love that even the most, kind of crazy conservative churches in the South, like are having to deal with this and mm -hmm. having to like actually mm -hmm. have conversations and mm -hmm. address this issue instead of just ignoring it, which they, they did for centuries. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, that's really cool. And so I think the church um, and that's, bar, I mean, honestly, like that's, a lot of the reason I wrote this book is to edify the church, is to help the church understand this issue theologically, biblically, culturally, mm -hmm. from someone who's been on both sides of it, someone who lived that life to the fullest and mm -hmm. was completely transformed in a twinkling of an eye yeah. <laughs> um, by the gospel. And and so I I really hope that the church... And I think this is happening in, in a lot of churches in this country is that they're really starting to become much more sensitive to this issue yeah. and, and much more aware of it mm -hmm. and understanding how to love mm -hmm. people in the church who are struggling with this or people who are in the church that are coming for the first time mm -hmm. and they're in the LGBT community. Um, so I think... There's a lot of work ahead, but I think we're on a good track. Yeah. I think that's so huge because for so long there's been just harmful rhetoric, like mm -hmm. offhand jokes, mm -hmm. things that were alienating people more than inviting them. Well, I yeah, I, I got invited to um, speak on, on a radio show, and I did this pre-interview with the guy who was going to interview me. and. Mm -hmm. I, I said something about like blah 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 like you know when I when I was living as a gay man and he said oh he said <laughs> he was like oh we don't use the word gay we use the word sodomite and I was like oh my gosh I literally called my publicist and I was at, at Harper Collins I'm like um I'm not doing this show so you can tell him no but yeah it's like that kind of attitude yes. I'm like no you can't. Yes. It's, 
be that insensitive. Yeah. Well, and it's somehow like Christians think they're taking some stand for God by yeah. like just like, oh, I don't, I'm not okay with the sodomites that are happening here in LA. And yeah. It's like, how is that helping bridge this gap of like gospel and love to? And I was like, I wanted anyway. to say to him like, I'm not okay with like prideful people like you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks, Beckett. This has been great. Um, I hope people really just they they see the the genuineness in your story, and they see just the the utter rich young ruler in you of just like well, the opposite, <laughs> the rich young ruler in you, where you you just saw what you thought was the cost, and you're like worth it. Like you made the purchase in an instant um, yeah. to pursue Jesus. And so He's I'm really worth grateful. It. Yeah. He is worth it for sure. But yeah, thank you for having me on your yeah. show. No, thanks, Beckett. In all these things, we hope that you see the nuance in this conversation, the grayness, and ultimately a desire to seek to know better the other side of this conversation. We hope you've grown in your love for the gay community and grown in your understanding of different views on this topic. As always, we want to acknowledge that this episode may have triggered you. It may have brought up old sexual abuse. It may have brought up old negative sexual behaviors. It may have even stirred up old wounds. With all of these things, talk to someone you trust about it. Don't hold these things just to yourself. Bring people into your life and your sexuality. And again, if you could leave us a review or share this episode with someone you think it might impact, this all greatly helps us do what we are trying to do on this podcast, which is bring hope to those who are struggling with their sexuality, who are struggling with their sexual lives, who are struggling with even the idea of what it means to be sexual. And as always, may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in faith.